God is good, isn't he? Isn't it good to be together? It's good to gather, isn't it? It's every single time it's good to gather. It's amazing uh, what God does in the midst of us, isn't it? I've said it before, but when I'm praying by myself, it's just different. I have prayer time with the Lord by myself, but then when I'm with the church, it's amazing how during our prayer times with the church, how just a different prayer comes out. It's just so different. It's funny how it's, it's because it's that needed part of the body. It's fine that we need that intimate personal time as well. You can't neglect that. And at the same time, an equal neglect that would be um, hard on our spiritual body, just as our physical body, you know, is you can, you can give it vegetables and then don't exercise, or you can exercise and don't give it the vegetables or the nutrients it needs. And, and so you can do a good thing, but it's not the whole thing that God really needs of us. So the gathering together is so important. There's just a sharpening that happens here. There's something special. So I just feel like I needed to say that. I say that often, but I need to say that again. Something supernatural is happening right in this room. God honors this. Can I just say that? God honors this right here. God honor, honors this right here, right here, gathering together. And I, I don't think God is uh, that particular about how many songs we do and how long those songs go on and if the sermon is 35 minutes or 50 minutes, but he is particular that we gather and do it his way and worship him and honor him and love each other in that process. And I don't want to get into that. Let me just get right into my sermon. Amen. Who is excited for what God is doing even amidst this time? Right? Are you seeing God move? Right? Is anybody seeing God move in their lives? I've seen God miraculously move this year, and we're going to keep seeing him do that because in the midst of everything that goes on in the world, God is still God. God is doing something supernatural. And it's, it's easy to look with our natural eyes and make human judgments. And we must not do that. I'm like a broken record with this theme. Um, but we cannot judge by our human intellect, by our human eyes, by our human ears. I preached some time ago, I think it was right at the beginning of, of this whole episode back in March or April, but about blind Bartimaeus. You know, he didn't even have eyes to see in the natural, and yet he could see Jesus, right? He saw Jesus. He wanted to see in the natural, but he had already seen them. The Pharisees could see, and they missed Jesus. How ironic. And so it's a spirit thing, and that's why Jesus said in Revelation, you have to have ears to hear as well, right? So it is supernatural ears to hear. It's supernatural eyes to see. We must be in the, there's like a current in the Lord, and not to get weird, but, you know, science is just barely scratching the surface of, like, what goes on in the unseen. And, like, I kind of mentioned it some weeks ago, but in the, you know, in the whole electromagnetic spectrum, you know, that's the light and that sound and all these things. And we're just barely tapping in. That's how your cell phone works. Imagine going back to the 1800s and telling someone you could not just talk, but see someone in 4K. And 4K will be a joke when someone hears this in 20 years. You'll be like, what's 4K? But because that's where we're at now, right? But imagine telling them I could see someone crystal clear uh, in the in 20 years. It'd be like, what's a screen? What do you mean you had to look through a screen? But we can see a person across the world, anywhere in the world, right? We can see their face to face, and and that's all happening with unseen technology. Do you? I mean, like we just take it for granted. You ever realize? Like, has anybody ever questioned how's this thing work? You know, like we do, but then we just get over it, right? It's like, whatever, it works. I don't really care how it works because I need it to work right now. Hurry up. I have things to do. Why isn't my phone working? Why won't it connect? Why can't I FaceTime right now? I need to FaceTime. That's it. We could care less how it works. It just needs to work. And yet that's all happening in the unseen, but we've come to accept that. But if I was to tell someone in the 1800s about it, or even just 50 years ago, they would call that like sci-fi. They would call it weird. They would call it spiritual. I mean, how would you define it? You know, like, what is happening? How can I possibly be talking to somebody who's not here? Like, how is that possible? Anyway, that's in science. That's real. That's still, even though it's not tangible with your human eyes and ears, that's tangible. It's an actual 
uh, I don't want to call it energy, but that's what it is. It's, they're tapping into these waves, right? Frequencies in, in unseen places. And in, and in the same way, you know God created everything? Everything that we have in creation is a picture of, of who he is, and everything is a lesson. Every single thing. As a parent raising children, as husbands and wives, the picture is there of Christ in us, right? As looking at his creation, etc., etc. Everything is a picture of who God is. And really, the more and more science is figuring out, and, and the more they tap into those, those uh, it's not fringe anymore, but it would have been fringe science, we're finding out that there's so much happening behind the scenes. We must be a spiritual people. We must be a people that does not judge with our human eyes and our human intellect, because what you don't understand today does not mean that it's not happening and you will maybe understand it tomorrow, but it didn't make it any less relevant today. If I can teach a child basic mathematics as a young child, that doesn't mean that advanced mathematics don't exist. They just don't have the capacity, or we haven't gotten there yet, but they always existed. Do you understand what I'm saying? So just because we can't understand what God is doing doesn't mean he's not doing something. Amen. Can I get an amen for that? Just because we don't understand it doesn't mean that he's not doing it. Do you get where I'm, where I'm going with this? It's in the unseen. Just 50 years ago, in the unseen, it was always there. It, not just 50 years ago. It's been there since God created the earth, but somebody had to find out how to use it. It was always, those frequencies were always there. Just like the microwave, right? It was by accident. The soldiers started heating up their food by accident next to the radio towers. That's how the microwave got invented. They found out you could stand next to these towers. It was the microwave radios, right? And they started heating up their food. And that's how it got invented. And so it was always there, but now it's in the sea, now it's in the knowing. One day the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that there's that there we're in like this unknown state. We see partially, we have we can only see in part, we only understand in part, but one day. We're going to see God face to face, and we're going to understand it all. Right? Isn't that amazing? But God is still doing something right now, even amidst this time, even amidst 2020. People are calling it the worst year of all history and worst year of time. I think that's ridiculous. There's been way worse times in history. But even with the uncomfortableness of it, God is still God, and God is doing something. And I want to get into something. If you were doing our Bible reading with us, I think it was on Tuesday this week that we read a story about David, and it was in First Chronicles. And I want you to follow along here in the story. And uh, if you're a believer, you know the story, and it's maybe one that you've wondered about and asked questions about. But I feel like we need to look at this because God has a way. Everybody say, God has a way. And I want you to say this, and it's his way. And he doesn't negotiate. <laughs> I love that uh, Abraham was able to reason with God to not destroy you know, Sodom and Gomorrah if he could find, right? If he could just find ten righteous. I love that God had grace and mercy, but God's way is God's way, isn't it? God is God. Just say it again. God is God. And I love that we can have a personal relationship with him. You know, what Abraham had there and what Moses had and David had and some of these patriarchs of our word is what we have through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. We have a personal relationship with God. But God is still God at the end of the day. Even Jesus, the Son of God, I bring this up so often because I think it's so relevant, especially for this time. Even Jesus, the Son of God, went into the Garden of Gethsemane to reason with God, and when the prayer was over, he said, but not my will be done, but your will be done. This is what I want. God, is there another way? Is there another way? And then, but ultimately, God, your will be done. And I really feel like the Lord 
um, is saying today that I have to get the right words because I have it in my spirit and I have to like, you got to like filter it through love and grace, right? But that we don't consult the will of God enough. We think we do. We're presumptuous that we're in the will of God because nothing is bad happening. Things aren't being taken. We're not sick and dying, you know, and this is a tough time to say things like that. But, you know, we, we judge our relationship with God based on our circumstances. And that's not actually valid. We need to judge our relationship with God by the word of God. And the circumstances are going to come and they're going to go. Sometimes you're at good times, sometimes you're at bad times. Right? Just read your word. Sometimes the disciples were facing storms and trials and like literal storms, right? Paul faced literal storms. The disciples faced literal storms. We call them, we talk about them like metaphors. But Jesus was in the boat with them. Jesus' power didn't change and their relationship to Jesus didn't change just because of circumstances. Imagine they thought that God was abandoning them and failing them. And that's why Jesus talked to them so harshly sometimes, like, where's your faith? Why don't you have faith? He wasn't telling them that they needed to, like, muscle up some strength, but it was, listen, guys, I'm still with you. I haven't left you. Don't judge what's happening around you. Judge what's happening internally between me and you. That's what needs, that's what matters right here. I'm with you. And circumstances will come and they will go, but this right here, this is what matters. Maybe it's nobody in this room. Maybe it's just going to be some one person hearing on the podcast, but so you can, if it doesn't apply to you right this minute, maybe it'll put it in the pocket. It'll apply later. Maybe some of it will apply. But I feel like the Lord really kind of strongly spoke to me in what we're going to see in First Corinthians, First Chronicles chapter thirteen is very strongly um, that much of Christianity is presumptuous. And we know this. In this church, we don't experience this as much, but if you go into the Christian world, you're going to see this, where they take grace and they use grace as a coverall. Grace just means in the Christian world today that I can do whatever I want because Jesus paid the price on the cross. And it's just not the case. God is still God, and Jesus is still Jesus. Have you guys ever read the book of Revelation? I know we have in this church. I'm just kind of saying it, but I know we know it. Like, when Jesus comes back again, he's not friendly. He's so loving and so incredibly merciful. I love, who loves the, lo- the Lord's grace? Who just is showered in it? I'm like, I soak in that grace. I love the Lord's grace. I know what God's grace is. Grace leads me to repentance. Grace, it's so amazing, right? Amazing grace. It's so amazing that it leads me to be broken before him. It makes me comb through my heart, like David says, right? It makes me scour through the issues and the offenses, you know, the, the envies and the jealousies of just living in this life that we all go through, right? And the fighting inside of us. Like we go, we, we're constantly, if you, are, if you are a strong believer, and I believe many of you are in this place, that you're in that place with God already where you let the Lord kind of go through you like that. You're constantly breaking and broken before the Lord. And that's a good place to be. That's real grace. That's the grace of God. Amen. Unfortunately, much of that message has been twisted and turned in today's world. And sometimes, like, you know, we get into a hard time in society, and then we blame the world for it. God doesn't necessarily look at the world until he looks at the church. I don't want to get into that whole teaching, but I believe that the scriptures are clear that God looks at the church first, then he looks at the world. And much of the church today just says, well, thank the Lord, that he paid the price on the cross. So, you know, every time that uh, I want to do what I want to do, I'm not talking about stumbling. That's the difference. But when I want to do what I want to do, thank God for his blood on the cross. Whereas we stumble, we fall, and we plead for the Lord's mercy. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. 
Thank you, Lord God, for your grace. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy. I've stumbled. I fell. But there's this presumption that we don't really even have to repent anymore. We already repented once. I already repented when I came to Christ the first time. Why would I repent again? And I just don't see that when I read the word. David really was a picture. He is an Old Testament picture of what it really meant to walk with God. You realize that, right? Like he walked with the Holy Spirit, Old Testament. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So actually the New Testament says we have even greater uh, accountability to God. Because now we don't just walk with the Holy Spirit with us. Disciples had the, the Holy Spirit with them. That's what Jesus said. But he said soon he'll be in you as he is in us. So there's a great accountability that we have. And this is what happens in 1 Chronicles. Who knows this chapter, right? If you were reading with us this week, you read this chapter, but maybe you already know it. I'm just going to read here. In 1 Chronicles chapter 13, verse 1, it says, David consulted with all his officials, including the generals and captains of his army, and he addressed the entire assembly of Israel as follows. All right, so David goes to the people. He says, if you approve, and if it is the will of the Lord our God. Everybody say, if is the will of the Lord our God. So David's got the right heart. He goes to the people. He says, do you approve? And we need the will of the Lord. Let us send messages to all the Israelites throughout the land, including the priests and Levites in their towns and pasture lands. Let us invite them to come and join us. It's time to bring back the ark of our God. For we neglected it during the reign of Saul. I feel like this is such an important moment because what we're doing right now in this nation, what Christians are starting to feel right across this nation is it's time to pray, it's time to fast, it's time to seek the Lord. Right? We're feeling that, aren't we? Do you know when we do that, there's a way to do it? There's a way to do it. If we begin to pray and begin to seek the Lord and we have self in there, self gains, if the whole point of Lord, we need your mercy is so we can go back to the way things were or so that then we can go back to our retirement plans and our vacations and, you know, and just move on and send our kids to college. If that is our goal, then we have the wrong motives. I know it's so subtle. It's so subtle. But we have to really scour our hearts. And again, maybe you know, only some of this is hitting you, and maybe some of it's not. Maybe it's for someone listening as well on the podcast, for you personally. But the Bible says that they went to go seek the Lord, and they had the right intentions. Everybody say they had the right intentions. Good intentions are dangerous without proper direction. Good intentions are dangerous without proper direction. You can have good intentions to go save someone who's drowning in the ocean, but if you don't know how to do it, you're going to die too. Is that true for an EMS? <laughs> good intentions are dangerous without proper direction. He said, let us invite him, let's bring the ark back, because we've neglected it during the reign of Saul, which I believe is the case. I believe that the Spirit of God has been so neglected in this generation that we need the Spirit of God back. Do you realize what the ark is? The ark, inside the ark, was, was the law, okay? New Testament, the Bible says that he'll write the law in our hearts. All right, so this is the Lord's way, okay? The ark represents God's way, God's ways, and they're written on our heart. You know what else was in the ark? The manna was in the ark. The ark is also God's supernatural provision. What else was in the ark was the staff, Aaron's staff that budded. It's the leadership. It's the leading. Ultimately, just to sum up what the Old Testament ark is, is it was, it was a tangible thing that you could see and touch. You better be careful touching it. That's what we're going to talk about. You could see and touch it in the natural, but it represented the invisible Spirit of God. 
It was a tangible thing, but it was God's spirit, like, wrapped up. That's why there was different things, like the whole thing. I mean, you could do your study, but the way it was designed, I mean, even its shape, I mean, all of it, its contents are the spirit of God and the fact that the laws inside of it and the laws in our hearts and where do we live we live by the spirit we live in Christ Christ in us i mean the whole picture this is god's presence everybody say the ark was god's presence we think of god's presence as something extra that's going to come you ever think about that as a christian we stand here and we pray we have the holy spirit in us and we pray for his presence isn't that kind of funny though I mean, I, I understand what we're doing. I do it too sometimes, but really his presence is supposed to be in our heart. We can say, Lord, we want more of you. Maybe that's more accurate. But to ask for his presence is kind of weird because God's like, I'm already in you. If you're a believer, you want more of me? I love that. But if you want me to come there and like show up, what do you mean? I'm, I came with you when you came here. I know it's funny, but isn't it funny we get all these weird mind things? We put like God in this place, but there's this intimate place that we're supposed to be in with him. And that intimate place, as, as amazing as it is, is that it's intimate and that he comes in this room with us, is that also the, there's a seriousness. Everybody say this out loud. There's a seriousness to God's presence. God is not flippant, and we shouldn't treat God flippantly. God's grace is so amazing, and his love is so amazing that it could be easy to treat it flippantly. In fact, we were just hearing a story about some people in, uh, in some training, some hardcore military-style training, and when the trainers are off-duty, they're your friend. They're sitting there, they're eating with you. Now, it would be a mistake to think that that guy's your friend when the training starts, and in fact, they made that mistake because now the guy is yelling at this person and insulting them. I mean, you know, not, they don't hate the person. That's just how it works. We all know that. <laughs> He's trying to break you. And the person got personally offended by this person's insults, assuming and presuming that their friendship that they had while they were eating was okay during training. Doesn't work like that. Who has been in the military doesn't work like that. Your superiors <laughs> are your superiors. Now, does that person, you know, the person behind closed doors actually said, I feel bad because, you know, I think I, I pushed them pushed really far. This particular person, I pushed them. Behind closed doors, they said, I, felt, I feel bad. But they couldn't show that in, in the moment because the, there's a training. There's something that needs to happen. And my point is to that little story is that there's a seriousness to God. God's presence is a serious thing, and God needs to be treated as if he's God. And he comes into our lunchroom, so to speak, and has a meal with us. And so we have this intimacy with him. And sometimes that could create a flippancy about who God is, that he's still God. Some people are, think of God as like he's not approachable, and that's not right either. Some people are so afraid to approach God because he's God. And G through the blood of Jesus, through the cross, and through the Holy Spirit, we have this. We can come boldly, the Bible says. Who knows that, right? The Bible says come boldly. We can come boldly before his throne, come boldly through grace and through the blood. At the same time, he is still the Lord, isn't he? He is still God. And so the Bible says here in First Chronicles that they have the good intention, uh, and I believe that that their heart here was right. Everybody say their hearts were right. Their heart was, we need this presence of God back. We need the Holy Spirit to operate in this church, in this community, in this nation again. The Holy Spirit is going to have to operate in his church for the church to be the church again. Amen? That's what we need back. The intention is right. We need the Spirit of God back. He's been pushed out. And replaced with religion, replaced with busyness, with programs. That's not the Lord hating us or judging us. The Lord loves us. We're just hurting ourselves. We're not hurting God. We're hurting God's heart. I'm saying we're not hurting. We're not changing who God is in heaven. We're hurting his heart. We're not hurting his godship or godheadness. <laughs> I don't know how, to, how do you say that? 
But it says, so David summoned all Israel. Let me just kind of breeze here. And he summons them. And so what they do is they start bringing the ark, verse 5. And in verse 6, uh, they bring the ark back, and they bear the name of the Lord, and it's enthroned between the cherubim. Verse 7, they place the ark. Everybody say, they place the ark. They place the ark of God on a new cart. Sounds good to me. Sounds good. Why not? Put the ark of God on, an ark, on a cart. We need the presence of God back, just so what do we need to do? Let's just place the Spirit of God in a, in a format. We'll just, you know, we'll just do this at a certain time and do that and whatever makes sense. And uh, the Holy Spirit should show up. Makes sense to me. It says they put it on a cart and uh, brought it from Abinadab's house, Uzzah and Ohio, Ohio or Ohio. I think we pronounce it like the, like the name, Ohio. Ohio. We're guiding the cart. And David and all Israel were celebrating before God with all their might. Doesn't this sound amazing? When you read this story, you're kind of surprised about what's about to happen because it sounds pretty good to me. They're worshiping with all their might. They're singing songs. They're playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, cymbals, and trumpets. Isn't that amazing? They've got the ark of God back. Let's bring it back and let's worship the Lord. And here it starts. All the worship, everything. Oh, praise God. Praise God for your presence. Praise God for your Holy Spirit. And then it says, verse 9, everybody say, but. Say it again. <laughs> Don't you love when you, you're listening to someone's conversation, you can hear in their tone. The but is coming. Okay, tell me, but what? Blah, 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 blah. It sounds all good things. Good, 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 good. What's the but? I can just tell you're getting there. Give me the but. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand to do a good thing for the Lord. Uzzah reached out, to steady the ark. Sounds good to me. Who in here wouldn't have reached your hand out to steady the ark? Anybody in here would have been like, not my problem. Of course you would. It says, and he struck, verse 10 says, the Lord's anger was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him dead because he laid his hands on the ark. He touched the ark, and God killed him. So Uzzah died there in the presence of God. You know, some people say this is Old Testament. God changed. When Jesus went to the cross, it all changed. God doesn't do this anymore. And then we have this very strange story. Who knows? Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, hello, God did not change. I, that's why I'm saying I understand God's grace because nobody in here should be alive. Let's just be honest. How many times have we touched God in the wrong way? How many times have you pointed your finger at God in your life? You know, maybe it was just one time, but we've all done it. We pointed our finger at God and we accused him for what is happening in our lives the bad that's happening, etc. You did this, or I hate you even. Thank God for his grace, amen. Who can say thank you for your grace, that he didn't strike us with lightning, then he's God at the end of the day. He's still God. We're just like little tiny ants that he loves very much. He loved us so much, he sent his own son for those little ants. It doesn't matter how small and insignificant we are, look at his love for us, that he sent his only son, and they let, he let Humanity, those little ants, he let them abuse Christ. That's how much he loves us. So it's not a question of God's love, but where he's still God. Everybody say he's still God. And so the Bible says in verse 11, what everybody does, David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. And he named the place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it's still called today. Verse 12, now David was afraid of God 
And he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God back into my care? You know, we go through things in our lives for all kinds of reasons, right? Sometimes uh, we're having things go wrong in our life uh, and nothing seems to work out because the devil's trying to steal God's peace and steal God's blessing from your life. Sometimes it's just that you're not making good decisions. Sometimes people blame God and they blame the devil for just poor decisions. Nothing ever goes right, but I spent all my money on alcohol and cigarettes. You know what I mean? They blame God. They never have any money. So there are a myriad of reasons why things aren't going amazing in your life at the time. I need to say that first as a disclosure. But sometimes you're out of the will of God. And that can be very blatant, blunt sin, like just blatant sin against God. That'll put you out of his will. But it can also be very subtle, presumptuous sin. It can be so subtle. It can be so sneaky. Do you know that just a glance at someone else's lawn that's a little bit greener than yours you know how much that breaks God's heart? And, and it doesn't, it's not that God instantly says, I hate you and I don't like you, but it instantly puts you out of God's perfect will in your life. That's not God's doing. You just moved out of, this is your life, and now you decided that what they have or their life is a little bit better than yours. And so what you're doing is telling God, God uh, you messed up in my life somewhere. I know it's so subtle, you might think, I don't believe that. And yet, then we read these stories. You know, Ananias and Sapphira, nobody made them give their money when they sold their property. And in fact, when they sold it, they could have said, I sold it, I'm going to give the church 10%, 20%, 30%. Nobody said they had to give it all, but where they sinned was they said, here's all of it, and it wasn't all of it. And bam, dead, dead. New Testament, post-cross, post-Christ, post-the blood, post-the-receiving of the Holy Spirit, dead. I'm so thankful that that doesn't happen often. But nonetheless, we should be aware that God is still God and that he has a way. You know, he has a perfect plan for your life in a perfect way. I love that God's grace protects us when we, we sway, don't we? We all, we all sway. We get in opinions. We get in thoughts. We make mistakes, and God's grace is there. But you know, as quickly as I can, when I realize I'm feel just feel off. Some mornings I'm just on my way to work, and I'm like, just something's not right. And Lord, you know, we just humble ourselves before Him, and just go through. Like maybe I, maybe I'm just thinking. I just go through your mind, go through your spirit, go through your decisions recently. And Lord, oh man, did I forget to do this that I told you I would do, or whatever it is, and just get yourself in line with the Lord, because He's still God. It's not about his love and his grace. See, David did what we all do when something happens that God warned us of. His word literally warns us of everything that happens to us, right? His word is filled. You do this, this is the consequence. Also, don't be unaware of the devil's devices. Also, uh, make sure you capture the thoughts in your own mind. I mean, he literally has told us all the different scenarios. It's going to come in your mind. It's going to come around your life. There's going to be storms. There's going to be crisis. There's going to be good times. Sometimes they're going to try to steal you away when everything's great. That's another tactic. I mean, the word has warned us. And then, and then we, things go wrong in our lives, and then suddenly God's to blame, just like David did. Just for sake of time, let's just go quickly here. It says in, in, uh, in verse 14, uh, verse 13, he did not move the ark to the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom. And in verse 14, it remained there for three months, and the Lord blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he owned. Because, you know, God's presence is still God's presence. And when it was sitting there, it was just blessing this household because God's there. So in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, uh, 
David had done verse 1 and says he had done some things for himself. He built the city and he prepared a place for the ark of God and set up a special tent for it. Then verse 2, it says, then he commanded. This is what happens. Chapter 13, they had good intentions and he said, let's seek the will of God and then forgot to go get the details from God. That's basically what happened. Just sum it up. Good intentions but didn't ask God, how do you want to do this? And we know, like, like God, we know that we need to be a church. We need to be here. We need to gather. But, you know, do we ask God often of, like, what does that look like? What do you want it to look like in 2020? What do you want this room to look like in 2020? What do you want us to be doing? Do we stop and ask him enough, Lord, you're still God. I can't just do whatever I feel like and then just check in once in a while with you, like punching a time card. God. Moment by moment, day to day, I want to do it your way. Besides God's presence here, touching it and the seriousness of it, you, the devil is waiting to pounce on you at every single turn. It's, it's, it, it's to our benefit to stay in that perfect will of God. It's not about heaven and hell. It's not about your salvation. You can... One, there's, I don't know where those lines are, and if you're going to search for those lines, then you're, you've already crossed it. I don't know where those lines of grace are. There's grace in God. I don't know where it is, and don't go searching for it. God, I thank God that there's a grace in there. He lets us make mistakes, and I believe that good people died that didn't need to die. And they went to heaven. And when they get to heaven, the Lord's like, why'd you do that? I love you. You're in heaven, but why would you do that? Amen? Does anybody know some of those stories? You're like, he shouldn't have died. They died doing something stupid. It's not about God's love or God's salvation. It's about being in the plan of God and the will of God. So 1 Chronicles chapter 15, 1 Chronicles chapter 15. It was a little bit mumbled there. No one except the Levites. Okay, David, now we got the right. That's right. The Levites, they're the ones who deal with the ark. That's right, David. No one except the Levites. David learned a harsh lesson, a sharp lesson about the presence of God, about who God is. It's one that we all really should experience. Thank God that it's not in death, but we should experience the, the God, who, that God is God sometimes, just to rem remember who he is. And only they can carry the ark of God. You don't, doesn't go on a cart. It gets carried. That's what God told us to do. The Lord has chosen them to carry the ark of the Lord and to serve him forever. If David had sought the Lord and went to the scriptures, it says clearly how to transport the ark. Clearly. So many times people, I'm telling you, they, we point our finger at God and we blame God for things happening and we're clearly not obeying the word. And God's like, what do you want me to do about it? I already told you the pattern. Just do what I told you and everything will go well with you. Remember what Peter, I love this story so much. I love it, I love it, I love it because it shows the humanity that's warring in us, but the spirit of God that can overcome the humanity in us. When Jesus, in Matthew 16, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You, he says, he turned to Peter, not Satan. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Peter, Jesus' main man right here, got into his flesh, into his humanity. He's telling Jesus, I'll never let anybody hurt you. No one's going to crucify you. I'm not letting that happen. And Jesus calls him Satan. Because Jesus was going to follow the will of God, not what was comfortable, convenient, or what made sense, etc. I could go down a list of things we do in our logic and our humanity to try to figure out the best way to do something, and yet God has a way. Everybody say, God has a way. So just quickly here it says, um, the Levites, 
Verse 3, then, he says, David summoned all Israel to Jerusalem to bring the ark of the Lord to place it at, um, to the place he had prepared for it. And then verse 11, then David summoned the priests. So we don't hear about the priests, do we, in chapter 13? It's not just the Levites, but also the priests, Zadok and Abiathar. And these Levite uh, leaders, Uriel, uh, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, and them. Verse 12, and he said to them, you are the leaders of the Levite families. You must purify yourselves and all your fellow Levites so you can bring the ark of the Lord. Not just the Levite, but there's a way. You also must be purified. I mean, he tells us clearly, if you've touched this, you're impure. If you touch that, you're impure. Now, we don't get into religion. I'm not here to preach to you that you need to go home and do rituals and make sure you're not wearing linen and cotton together. That's not the point. The point is, if we gone through our hearts, are we doing what Jesus tells us to do, New Testament version of the Old Testament? Are we humbling ourselves before him and seeking his face and just letting him scour, letting the Holy Spirit scour through our hearts for the finest little details in us? That's what the purifying was. Before we just move, we move and make so many decisions so quickly without purifying ourselves first. He said, so you can bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I prepared for it. Because you Levites did not carry the ark the first time the anger of the Lord our God burst out against us. We failed to ask God how to do what he's asked us to do properly. We made a mistake, and God's presence is not to be messed around with, but we're going to get it right. Everybody say, we're getting it right now. This nation, I don't know what's going on. We may be in a position because the church got into weirdness and we started treating God's presence with, uh, I think the word is contempt, right? Like treating a judge with contempt, right? And just started treating God like, you know, he was an accessory to his churches. And there was some consequences. I don't know. I'm not saying God did all this, but I'm saying this, that right now when we cry out to him, I don't want to go back to that. I want to get some things right. I want the Levites where they need to be. I want purity back in his church. I want the presence of God, but it's not going to come the way I want. It's going to come the way he wants it. Amen. Verse 14, so the priests and the Levites purified themselves in order to bring the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to Jerusalem. And then the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles. Literally, the thing is, they didn't even have to go make something for it. God had already ordained that they made poles. It had rings in it that poles went through so you could carry the thing. But you know who carried it on a cart? I don't know where David got the idea, but coincidentally... When it got into the hands of the world, wow, this is getting prophetic now and getting spiritual. When the ark of God got captured by the Philistines, the presence of God got into the, it was out there in the world, a mixture, right? Presence of God and world. They start experiencing all kind of calamity. They're getting sick and stuff's happening. God's presence in a sin-filled world without things in order, I mean, things start happening. And they said, we got to get this thing out of here. we got to get this ark out of here. We're all going to die. So what they do is they craft up an idea in their intellect. Everybody say, in their intellect. The Philistines are the world, literally the epitome, Old Testament, of the world, of the devil's world, worldly, right? That's Goliath, the Philistine, okay? You're talking about Philistines. They come up in their intellect. Let's make a cart. Let's put the ark on the cart. Let's send it back with led by two young cows, and we'll send it back. And then we fast forward to 1 Chronicles 13, and there's the ark on a cart, trying to do a godly thing the world's way. We cannot operate in the church. 2020, as we move forward, we cannot do what God has asked us to do the world's way. And we have brought too much worldliness into the church it's become, you know, I don't mind that there's coffee in a church, but come on, guys, when Starbucks, literally, not Starbucks, the place, but authorized Starbucks seller, they still got the sign up. When that got into the entryways of the churches, guys, you, I mean, I'm just saying, right then and there, we should have been like, whoa, 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 what is this? That's fine, you want to have coffee at church, but it's just starting to look too much like a mall to me, 
like a Barnes and Noble. And you just come and go as you want. You don't have to do anything here. Just come. You're free. Just come. You don't have to change either. Just come and go. We love you. Of course we love you, and of course Jesus loves you. But if you don't hear the message and get changed by the message, then you're still going to go to hell with Starbucks. Let's be blunt about this. Come on, guys. Then those churches right now are crying across this nation and praying. Come on, we got to pray right now. I think the greater prayer is that the church prays the right way. Because those churches are praying, and what do you think their goal is in the end? To go right back to the Starbucks in the entryway. They're not going to change unless God changes them. That's the greatest prayer we need to pray. It'll just happen again. We'll be right back in this again. That's what happens through the Bible, right? These cycles, because God's, he's going to give us grace. I, I'm, I will mark, mark my words. If we pray, we can pray incorrectly. God's still going to give us grace. But we're going to fall right back into the wrong... There was evil people when they prayed, God can't help it. God's grace comes out, but we want to get things right because I don't want a temporary grace. I don't want just grace for a season. I want to get into the right way and do things that he's asked us to do the right way. So David orders the Levite leaders. He appoints the choir. Look at, oh, verse 15. This is important. This is very, very important. It says, The Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with its carrying poles, just as the Lord had instructed Moses. And I don't want to skip those words. That's like the whole key to this whole sermon. Just as God had already instructed. There's nothing confusing about this, David. I'm really sorry about your friend Uzzah. I am. But I told you what to do. And I'm still God. I love you, David, and I love Uzzah, and Uzzah's with me. His body's just not on the earth right now. I mean, that's harsh, but that's what happened. Nobody's given me an amen to that one. So David orders the Levite leaders, verse 16, and he appoints the choir. Listen, listen, this is important. They're going to have singers, but it's a choir of Levite leaders. Isn't that important? I said it some weeks ago. Maybe you don't know it. You know, a lot of us have already known this just behind the scenes, but maybe it's news to you. But churches across America started hiring professional musicians because they had better talent and because they didn't argue. I know a lot of Christians love to argue because nobody can tell them what to do because they don't get paid. So they just started hiring musicians because now you're getting paid to do what I tell you, and they did a good job. And without the presence of God, by the way, because they're just some heathen person from the world. Not that God doesn't love that person, but they can't lead worship in a church. What is this? Are we insane? Are we literally asking for God's judgment? That's how you do it, by the way. You want God's judgment, just go to his word and put a worldly musician leading worship in his church. It's not the abortion issue. That's an issue that we need to keep fighting for. That's not why God judges the world. It's when his church starts acting like the world. The world was always the world. When God's judgment comes in his word, it's because the church that he separated, God's people that he frees and separates, when they start doing what the world does, that's when God gets angry. Not that he doesn't love them. He's, he's so filled with grace. Again, I have to say it again. He sent his only son. His one and only son, if we just get that, then we would never think of the God's anger, God's anger as harsh. We would see it as love and grace and mercy, even as anger. There's a way. It was the Levite leaders to appoint a choir of Levites who were singers and musicians to sing joyful songs to a accompaniment of harps, lyres, and cymbals. The same pattern, but with the purified right people. God's doing that right now. That's a lot of what's happening. It says, verse 25, I'm going to sum this up. I promise. Everybody all right? Then David and the elders of Israel and the generals of the army went to the house of Obed-Edom to bring the ark of the Lord's covenant up to Jerusalem with great celebration. Sounds just like what they did before, but now the right way. And because God was clearly helping the Levites, everybody say the Levites, Levites, the Levites, because God was clearly helping the Levites because they were doing it his way. 
That's who God said is going to do it. You can't just do whatever you want. God in heaven gives us so much grace, right? Parents, who's done this with your children? This is going to make, this sermon is going to make a lot of sense if you're a parent. You ready? Child does something wrong, you see it. You don't say anything. You don't do anything. Doesn't mean it didn't go. It doesn't mean you didn't see or hear it. Second time, you let them get away with it. What you're doing is giving them grace. You're not, you're not, this is not the parent that's letting the child do whatever they want. This is a different parent. It's the parent who saw it, gave it grace. Now suddenly on the third time comes with punishment and the child says, what did I do? Come on. Come on, all you kids out there that are adults now, remember that. And all you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. That's what God, sometimes God, suddenly it comes and it's like, what would I do? Well, you didn't do anything I said, to be honest. <laughs> if you want to be honest about what you did, that's the problem. You didn't do anything. So because God was clearly helping the Levites to carry the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams because they do it God's way. David was dressed in a robe of fine linen, and uh, were, uh, as were all the Levites who carried the ark, they were dressed properly, they did this thing properly, carried it properly, and also the singers, and Kaniah, the choir leader, and he's uh, wearing a priestly garment, and they bring it in verse 28, brought up the ark of the Lord's covenant with shouts of joy and blowing of ram's horns and trumpets and clashing of cymbals and loud playing of harps and lyres, just like they did before, but the right way. Amen. God's so good, isn't he? Isn't his word so good? Proverbs says that there's a, there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. We must ask the Lord right now. The biggest prayer that I've had since March was not just, God, we need your mercy and your grace, but God, your will, your will. I feel like I pray for like, I go out there for an hour and just pray to the Lord. It's the same thing for an hour. Lord, what's your will? Lord, I want to get lined up with your will. What is your will? What's your will? What's your will? It's been this repetitive prayer for, for five months. We need the will of the Lord, and things will go well with us, the word says. It doesn't mean that things will go well around the whole world, but it will go well with us. That's where we need to be. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord God, for your word. I just thank you, Lord. You're just injecting this word down deep in our hearts, Lord. Put it down deep inside of us. God, let this word become seeds in our heart that get down in that deep, dark soil of our hearts, Lord, and sprout up with life, and they grow, Lord God, into a truth, Lord, that we can live with, Lord. We know, we come into a knowing, knowing you, Lord God, in Jesus' name, amen.